0: Welcome to the Pendulum Insight Podcast. This is a show for deal makers in the blockchain business where we meet the players who are changing the game today and get their insight into everything from the red tape to the raise. This is your host, Colton Moffitt. Let's get started. Hi everybody, today we're joined by John Nance and Thomas Carter of DealBox. Uh, DealBox is a blockchain enabled institutional private equity and credit funding platform that is democratizing private equity, venture capital, and investing in early rounds of businesses and frontier industries. In addition to the blockchain platform, DealBox offers consulting on tokenizing cap raises and provides a white glove service with a full suite of issuer materials from due diligence, financial models, regulatory documents, pitch decks, and structuring the entire process of private equity from seed round to full cycle exits, utilizing cutting edge blockchain technology. So Thomas is the founder of Dealbox. Uh, We're excited to have him here today. He's got 25 years capital experience, uh, capital markets experience, experience, and he's been featured in Forbes, Time, Money, Business Insider, Entrepreneur, ESPN, and Success magazines. Uh, and then we also have John Nance here, who's the President and Chief Investment Officer at DealBox. And he's got a Bachelor of Science, focused in operations management, finance, and a minor in astrophysics from University of Colorado Boulder. So we know we're talking to some clever guys here. Thanks yeah. for joining us, guys.
1: Thanks for having us, yeah. we I appreciate it. Yeah,
2: really appreciate uh, having the opportunity to talk about DealBox and, and beyond.
0: Excellent. So why don't you each tell me a bit about your past ventures and how you each individually got into the blockchain business, and then we can go into more information about Dealbox.
2: Yeah, no, I'll I'll take that one first. And uh, yeah, so I got uh, introduced into capital markets 30 years ago. That's when I actually did my first private placement. And I I I took one of the first internet companies public in 97. So I cut my teeth in capital markets and raising money, innovating new products and and uh, taking a company public. And the second company I took public was in 2000. So I learned a lot about raising money and the sort of all the things that go along with that and you know, how much time and how consuming it was. And um, really uh, uh, then started to understand as those deals got banked, sort of the dark side or the predatorial side of investment banking. And uh, you know, it was a great experience uh, getting the companies public. And so that's really where I, I got my start in uh, capital markets. And I started a software company in 2000. Uh, we did a pivot in our strategy in 2004, and we needed to raise some money for that pivot. And I focused on putting a comprehensive investment package that would get to the yes or no quick as we, you know, again, just trying to, um, you know, take advantage of spending less time and giving people really good information. This helps uh, the decision-making process, right? So. Uh, I sent that to a fund. Uh, we met with them and uh, they invested and um, it was actually a couple of weeks went by and they said, Hey, would you mind doing this for us? We really like the way you did your package. So that's how I got started. I did four deals for them. And uh, next thing now, my phone's ringing for this investment packaging service.
0: And uh,
2: I did another uh, 12 deals over a 12 month period of time and set up a separate consulting company in 2006, specifically to do capital markets advisory and investment packaging and um just continued to grow that business up until about 2010 and we started to put technology around it and uh we were uh doing an inward facing uh private equity distribution platform in 2010 and then had one of the very first public equity uh crowdfunding platforms it was a 506c uh platform in uh, 2013 and then um in 2015 we launched the as I was getting ready to get to basically, you know, launch those two from a beta site to full blown launch uh, uh, websites and, and marketplaces, saw what was happening in blockchain and uh, kind of paused on those, pushed all my chips in and uh, launched a, uh, a blockchain uh, uh, crowdfunding marketplace. And, um, you know, got our experience doing our, our first token sale early on with the utility token and paused on that because we saw the regulatory environment was going to uh, change and we, Uh, Pivoted the company to security tokens in 2017 and now today we have uh, approximately 30 companies some amazing companies about a deal uh, almost a billion plus and quality, uh, you know, deal flow and uh, we're excited to kind of bring that to market and you know we're in the process right now, um, you know, raising money directly to make direct investments into those companies that are on our platform.
0: Excellent that's uh going to be fun to talk more about um yeah think it's interesting that you guys were going down the the cannabis path in 2015 and also between that and the blockchain you've clearly got a bit of taste for seeing what what the government's going to say about what you're up to so that's right. a good good uh risk appetite i'd say
1: yeah and i guess um a little bit about myself as far as capital markets are concerned um i was very fortunate at a young age to be brought into the commodities trading world so i've experienced uh trading derivatives uh for about the last 10 years in the futures contract space. Uh, after that time, uh, you know, I kind of parlayed my futures trading experience into a mid-sized broker dealer out of Orange County um, that was based in, in New York City. And at the time, while I was working for that firm, I, I helped integrate uh, managed futures uh, products as well as commodity trading advisors, other you know, illiquid alternative investments for implementation into you know, retail client portfolios And just as I was joining that firm, I personally got invested into cryptocurrency around uh, late 2012, early 2013. So I was, you know, kind of part of the initial adopters into the uh, XRP protocol and some of of those uh, tokens that were propagated out very early. And so, you know, during uh, basically the last seven years, I was kind of monitoring that blockchain space and, you know, furthering my, my progress in wealth management. And then around um, January, February of this year in 2018, I, I was fortunate enough to meet Thomas here. And you know, he explained to me what Dealbox was working on and what the vision for the business was. And I had finally seen um, you know, the supply source for what um, you know, retail clients as well as other investors in the world of wealth management were demanding, but quite frankly, weren't getting um, from a supply perspective from their wealth advisors, their family offices, basically anybody in charge of their money, right? And so uh, what I've been serving to do here at DealBox and, and my capital markets experience uh, to, to lend to DealBox is, is really to bridge the gap between those institutional investors that have that capital and have those clients that are demanding that kind of product, but don't really have a supply to, to, you know, filter into their client base. So that's kind of my responsibility uh, here at DealBox and exactly what, you know, we've been working to do. So we're excited to kind of get into talking more about that.
0: Excellent. That sounds like a pretty interesting path too i was um reading principles with ray dalio's book and he has a pretty similar background too so you're on a good path man (laughs)
1: thanks yeah ray ray is uh you know one of my idols i've read the book myself and uh you know uh, a number of those guys in that fund industry they have um you know just some really interesting things to say about the way that they invest how they got to where they are and you realize that it 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 isn't necessarily the concrete like ladder oriented path that most people Mm -hmm think that they might have had to get there. Uh, that oftentimes are a lot more creative.
0: Sure, sure. Well, that's interesting stuff. You know, you guys had a bit of an opportunity to describe Dealbox and I gave the kind of uh, long and, and plain intro at the beginning that I can find. So why don't you tell me more about Dealbox specifically and where it fits into the current ecosystem of crowdfunding, private equity, venture capital, and, and the blockchain space in general? Sure.
1: Yeah, so I'll go ahead and take that one, right? So. So look, Dealbox specializes in early stage investing for private companies, all right? So our core SaaS model serves to create an investment package like Thomas alluded to. Um, And what we do is uh, for our issuer clients, we use our superior data analytics tools that we then digitize and upload into the Dealbox platform. And in that way, our investor base can access the deal box platform to conduct the diligence, explore the investment opportunities and really research companies at a deeper level than anything currently available in the online investing marketplace, specifically in, you know, private companies, private equity venture uh, that exists today. Right. So like I alluded to, we're really trying to bridge that gap between institutional investors like the family offices, the RAs, um, various fund management businesses and other high net worth individuals, uh, you know, and connect them with the disruptive issuers uh, who are creating tomorrow's successful businesses today. Right? Um, there's a very interesting think tank out of uh, Palo Alto that was just recently quoted in a symposium and saying that, um, you know, they have a certain degree of, of certainty here where over the next 10 years, you know, north of 60% of the Fortune 1000 businesses might not be able to adapt uh, to the rate of change of technology that's gonna occur in the next 20 years, right? Internet technologies have really been only around uh, productively for the last uh, 20 years, right? So um, the next 20 are are slated to become, you know, basically that exponential uh, chart to to move. And so that's where we're trying to connect that institutional capital uh, into those disruptive issuers.
2: Okay. And I could get into the process a little bit, you know, because I've been doing this for quite a bit uh, as a a business for the last 15 years. And, um, you know, what we've really created a systematical, scalable, repeatable process. And it's a a bit of a deep dive with the issuer. It's about six to eight weeks uh, due diligence uh, process where we're really uh, working on um, analyzing what the company is, where it wants to go, and really building a a defensible financial model that really... um, you know we're not just uh, fabricating there's really some uh, a, a lot of work that goes into the assumptions and the verification of those assumptions and really just making that financial model be as strong as it could be and then wrapping the narrative around that how's the management gonna you know execute on that financial model then and then uh, you know obviously having the proper disclosures if it's a reg d private placement you know there's there's different types of private placements, you know, um, the general solicitation or, uh, the 506 B and then, or it could, uh, they could do a reggae tier one tier two or, or reggae plus or an S one filing. So it's really about deal boxes. Everything you need to do a deal in a box, but at the same time, we're really architecting where they are uh, at inception and wanting to exit and then, uh, really, um, putting t- together the best sort of capital stack and alignment of resources and, uh, and making that information all available online uh, with the best tools to analyze that information and really uh, productizing the asset class so that people could just push a button and, you know, drill down as deep as they want to go and, um, you know, get that information and ultimately be in a position to make a more informed investment decision. So we're essentially like a one-stop shop and that makes it really convenient. And then uh, we've got some great partners like Token IQ that's uh, doing the token provisioning and, um they've got a great solution. We could get into that a little bit later but uh, sure. yeah that's that's a little bit about uh that you know deal box it's really again it's 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 like we like to uh m- keep it really simple. everything you need to do a deal in a box
0: yeah okay that right? that's clever. I like that so you know what you talked about there, you mentioned having the financial model defensible financial model before the narrative, and you build yeah. a narrative on that. Uh, that's kind of a refreshing reversal of what we've seen a lot over the past year. So right? yeah, I've, I've encountered a lot of um, projects, you know, companies as it were, they say, Hey, look, we've got this idea and now we're looking for a way to make it make financial sense. What do you think? <laughs> like, well, <laughs> I don't really know. From an investment perspective, that's a rough proposition. So uh, as far as the development of tokenized assets over the near future and the long term, you know, tying back into that idea of like, hey, do you even have a financial model that makes sense right now, let alone a use case, or is this just kind of an idea? Because it's good to be dreaming, but it's also important that that everybody's gonna get out of it what they think they're going to, or there's at least a better than random chance. So what do you guys think about that, tokenizing assets over the near future?
1: Yeah, so uh, that, that's a really great question. Um, we like to think about this kind of like five steps out, right, because you know all of the stuff that we just mentioned has been kind of baked into capital markets for a long time um while we have a more efficient way of doing those it's not really reinventing the wheel just making it a superior wheel right so mm-hmm. as far as uh, the development of, of tokenized assets goes you know with uh, dealbox what we've built is uh, kind of having a vision of using tokenization to you know liberate entrepreneurs by providing efficient and less invasive ways of raising capital so Along the lines of that, what we'd like to see kind of in the near term, and in some cases we already are, is, you know, progress building uh, deeper liquidity pools for digital securities and tokenized assets. Um, more legitimate companies and assets using tokenization strategies um, to drive institutional adoption. Uh, we think that this will bring, you know, more legitimacy and, and progress into the space in the near term. And then as far as, you know, longer term goes uh, you know, we see the development of the global uh, digital security exchanges that provide liquidity in markets for these companies uh, to start up, and you know, really uh, help uh, continue the access to capital for you know public capital around the way that like Fortune 500 companies and businesses over the, you know, $200 million market cap can access today, right? Because that's not really accessible at the $50 million and below kind of that nano cap company space. And that's where the people really need the most help, right? So longer term, that's what we'd like to see. Um, and then also, you know, around more of a digital marketplaces for really what we just described and having an issuer communication integration that extends beyond the quarterly earnings calls and, you know, kind of, for lack of a better word, you know, cheesy email updates and, you know, again, ultimately large scale institutional adoption uh, through more traditional channels.
0: Okay. Gotcha. So kind of uh, opening up to the whole globe, the ability to invest in these projects and crowdfund our way to the singularity. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. <Yeah>. Excellent. <laughs>
2: yeah. it, you know, you're really getting, uh, you're seeing these antiquated old legacy systems and models out there being disrupted and it's really just the, the removing the friction and you're, you know when you get, when you have information that becomes digital and you can automate that process and automate workflows and and get the logic of the flow really to 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 have more purpose and getting that out to people that are qualified and it's just going to make the asset class you know we're productizing the asset class entrepreneurs are great at you know building a product and a service or coming up with an idea but they don't Make their business a product, and and that that it uh, becomes difficult to to attract resources, whether it's human capital or or financial capital, because there's there's not the data is not just there to to understand what all the opportunities are, and um, you know you really want the company day one to to, to you got to ask yourself can the company be acquired the first day I'm looking to go out and raise money, mm-hmm. so they should be only prepared to raise money, but they should also should be, be prepared to be acquired because. If you have all those best practices set up day one, you're going to be able to effectively manage and measure everything in a much more um, logical and informative way. That's ultimately going to help accelerate and and achieve better uh, distribution and and better optics all the way around for the opportunity.
0: Sure. Okay. And when you're talking about building it to be able to be acquired from the outset, I guess a lot of that comes into what you're saying before about the liquidity that's often not there for the smaller businesses. And that's if they're going to buy it, are they going to be able to sell it? And for a lot of people that are looking at investing in things, whether they have to wait a while or not, they think I want to be able to sell the thing yeah. uh, in the future. And I think people get as far as, yeah, I'm going to build this business to be able to be bought. Like someone's going to want to buy it. They're not thinking about, well, are they going to be able to sell it when they buy it? And that makes it more attractive. So yeah.
2: Exactly. And to your point on that, it's really like the buying side is like, you know, when you go in, into a store and you buy a product, it's ready to be bought. Right. Mm. And it, the company not, might not be ready to sell, you know, because it's that early, but it's just about having sort of those best practices and those housekeeping and all that stuff, you know, in place before you go out to capital markets.
0: Sure. And that's something that you are emphasizing with the companies you work with at deal box. Yeah.
2: Yes. Absolutely. absolutely.
0: So, when when we get into the discussion of how you came toward focusing on the STOs versus the ICO, where they you know kind of came up with the missing utility token for a while there, talk to me about utility tokens, ICOs, and STOs, and how your take on that has evolved over the past year.
2: Yeah, so um, you know, being a capital markets guy, it took me a while to kind of get my arms around the utility use case, um, just because I had my you know, bit regular business logic. It just took some time to understand what you know, network value and utility use cases. And certainly, there's a case for those. Um, you know, uh, it's it's just that ultimately, you know, the value doesn't really communicate with a, with the general audience. You know, so I mean, I think it, those those types of project deals and ICOs and you look i mean it's a great it's a great movement that happened it, it really uh, uh you know brought awareness around this as an asset class and a way to fund companies so i think it's been amazing uh, everything that's happened up to this point but at the end of the day i don't believe ultimately ico's are sustainable you know there's there's got to be true value at the end of the day and network value and speculation sometimes doesn't equate to real value for folks you know, the average you know the average day person. So, you know, security tokens uh, is, uh, is really sort of the, the next logical step because there's real value that's delivered via the token. And that value is, you know, um, whether it be the company tokenizing its, its physical security or tokenizing the revenue, whether it's a, it's, a, it's a digital royalty distribution, which is the model that we like. You know, mm-hmm. again, being a fundamentalist and looking at the numbers and seeing what's there why not just make those distributions digital and that's uh, via the security token. And that's really uh, what we're focusing on. And, and it's a, it's a great way to do that uh, leveraging blockchain
1: and, and leveraging um,
2: the digitization of this asset asset class through a security token.
1: Cool. Yeah. And just uh, the last little piece I'd like to add on that as we talk about fundamentals, you know, so uh, we we authored like a pretty good article about this where we kind of discussed the history, history of, Equity valuation theory, discounted cash flow analyses, uh, dividend discount models, things of that nature that the equity markets rely on today to price securities um, from a fundamental construct, right? And basically, we take a look at how that developed over the last 100 years and drew corollaries and extrapolation type theories for a similar path with regard to uh, digital securities. So, you know, we look at kind of, you know, you go back into the early 1800s, you know, mid-1800s and into the 1900s and what was happening in terms of valuation of stocks is not what's happening today, right? And Mm -hmm. so everybody thinks that, okay, we've always been valuing securities that way. Well, it's not necessarily true, right? So what we think is going to happen and progress in this nature is really that same kind of, you know, maturation process that occurred in the equity markets that we know and, and, you know, hang our hats on and trillions of dollars worth today. but just in the framework from a new asset class.
0: Sure, that sounds like you've put a lot of thought into how that's (laughs) going to develop. You know, I have spoken to some people who are doing similar things, they're involved in a similar way with the blockchain economy as I like to think of it. Um, But, and to not discredit them at all, they're fascinating, intelligent people. You sent me though this document, your your monthly report, (laughs) <laughs> I read yeah. that this morning before the call and there's some pretty insightful stuff in there. I mean, it seems like you're doing some very high level research and then getting into the details with some of the things that were linked to in that document. Um, how much of what Dealbox does is that research and analytical side of things versus the going out and, and specifically doing the consulting for these individual companies.
2: Well, I, I, it's, it's just about having good data on everything that you're doing right and so it, it's helpful to do i mean that's what we're doing when we do the capital formation with the issuers you're really doing you're researching their market their industry you know it's all uh it's all part of that narrative of building that uh, the fundamentals and the you know and the defensible value so you really want to understand what you're getting into and it just is it's i think you know as you continue to peel back the onion until there's anything left, you know, you just want to go that is as much of a deep dive as you could do. It's all part of our, our process. And so, um, you know, I think just having those, that that's going to, that's going to translate in the, in the information when investors are, are, you know, analyzing or reviewing that information to make those investment decisions. So I think it's, Mm. it's an important part of, uh, you know, what we do. Um, in fact, we uh, are also developing a, uh, we have two research reports, industry reports we, we've done for the block, uh, blockchain industry as a whole. So, you know, we're looking to have Dealbox be sort of a, not only just a, a marketplace for uh, high quality blockchain ventures, but also aggregating and creating content and data that supports the industry and the ecosystem as a whole.
0: That's good. That's definitely good. I, I had these conversations and myself, my kind of sales oriented, marketing oriented frame of reference and talking to a lot of people who are doing similar things um, tend to look at it from that, that PR and marketing frame of reference. So it's, it's yeah. nice. I'm looking at this document like, Oh, these are finance and data guys. I'm going to sit back and read <laughs> <that>. <laughs> well, You know,
2: the, the Yeah. The the cool thing too, is, is we're not like, I'm not a banker, right? I'm just a a serial entrepreneur. That's, you know, uh, I think has made every mistake possible as an entrepreneur over the years, you know, and, and, and there's a lot of failure with pushing the envelope and new technology and, uh, you know, just keeping your head down and building. and, And then eventually, you know, you start to see all these great things with a lot of hard work come to, you know, come to fruition. And, um, it's, uh, you know, we're in exciting times and, and, and FinTech is, uh, a great place for us to be in, but we're not, you know, traditional banking guys, but uh, you know, like you said, data guys and, 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 and uh, you know, traditional sort of entrepreneurs and and marketing, you know, we have a lot of those uh, skill sets.
0: Yeah. That's a good thing about this whole blockchain experiment the world is doing right now is that you get the intersection of very creative philosophical people, entrepreneur types, um, you get the people that are pretty ideological, but they usually have a lot of good research to back up why they think what they think. And then you also have the finance and, and the technologists. I mean, you can't even find some some of these, these minds just working on the same kind of stuff in the same places all over the world, um, being able to go into any major city now and have the most fascinating conversations easily just by walking into a meetup or a con- conference related to this. So it's really a pretty beautiful thing, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it really is. And just one last point on that. we have a bench of some really amazing people. And that's what we try to do is, is build a core bench of really amazing domain uh, uh, expertise so that when issuers have, uh, you know, a potential weakness or or they need that level of access, we can pull uh, upon our bench of uh, experts that we have to to be helpful as well as as sort of another uh, tool in our toolbox to help issuers.
0: Excellent. So, As far as that toolbox goes, you know, tying this back into what we discussed before, what advantages does the STO model have over, say, the traditional IPO model, or even on the other end, the equity crowdfunding models that we've seen uh, come online over the past few years?
2: Um, Well, first of all, uh, you know, the security tokens are going to have the ability to have more liquidity because there's more exchanges and because of the ICO, you know, emerging markets and everything that's happened with this uh, digital assets, uh, you're finding that there's going to be more exchanges that are going to be able to, I think, provide that liquidity for uh, uh, security token offerings. Mm -hmm. Um, The fact that um, you could, um, you know, issuers now have a way of looking at raising capital without giving up equity and leveraging the token and and passing a a distribution onto that token gives some flexibility uh, for those issuers. Uh, to, to, to you know, and to have a little bit um, of a variation of your of a way to go out and and offer uh, both equity and tokens to, to help maybe incentivize the the offering. So there's uh, there's advantages to um, the distribution, the access, and and ways that you can market uh, the offering as a whole, leveraging uh, security tokens.
0: Sure. And, and as it relates to IPO, I'm guessing it's just a lot of these companies are not at a point where they could, should, or would go for that path. Yeah.
2: So when you get into IPOs um, there, you know, you're, you're going to be dealing with uh, the, the market and the, the, you know, obviously there's volatility in, in both markets. We, we, mm-hmm. could, we, could, we, we, know that. Um, I just think that uh, there's a lot, you know, taking a, taking a few companies public and, and just the, 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 sort of, a, a lot of the brain damage that goes alongside with that, I think there's uh, security tokens op- often, you know, could there's a little bit less brain damage, I think, that happens with security token offerings and full-blown traditional IPO offerings. Uh, just from, our, just from our, uh, reporting and information and, 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 and managing that, that process. Because there's more efficiency around tokenization, just like the, again, I'm going back to the AML, KYC, and, and the that the token IQ solution, a lot of that stuff's built into the token. So when, when you can have a smarter process, you're reducing friction. And I think STOs are gonna reduce a tremendous amount of friction ultimately in, in capital markets.
0: Good to know. John, you look like you might add something to say on that too.
1: Yeah, I mean, I agree a lot with uh, what Thomas is saying. I mean, ultimately, like I I go back to the market cap of all these businesses, right? And these Mm -hmm. later stage companies that go IPO, they have access to capital in a way that companies that quite frankly need it more and can be more disruptive and also beneficial and impactful from environmental, social governance, right? Like what we call ESG standpoint. Providing companies in that stage access to capital that isn't, like I said, so invasive or... Or outright egregious, and in, in terms of the terms of these deals and how they're structured, that's going to wind up creating a lot more benefit uh, both for the investor base, uh, the development of that business, as as well as the company itself.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, so there's definitely a lot of promise there, and I understand that right now the concept and the implementation of the STO is still relatively young. You know, there's not a lot of this happening in the wild so much as there's a lot of talk and preparation relative to ICOs, which have had a, you know, a little over a year now to get incredibly popular, crash and burn in many cases, evolve into what this is. So as far as what you guys are doing, I know you're kind of maybe a month to a couple months out from some of the stuff that you've been working up to where is everything at right now with Dealbox and, and the projects that you're working on?
2: Yeah, so um, right now we have uh, roughly 30 companies that we're onboarding. The first dozen of those deals are about to go live uh, this month. Um, mm. We do have some that are already, you know, ready now. Uh, the biggest, um, one of the biggest things that we've been working to accomplish is, is our pre-sale and public sale so that we could help uh, really accelerate the syndication and distribution so we're raising money right now so that we can make direct investments seed investments and series A investments so that we can help really advance the syndication and distribution so that we can you know develop more um, ability to access uh, larger pools of capital and by putting your own money in uh, that that's really helpful and that kind of really helps um, you know with syndication and distribution so right now um, we're focused on you know, completing that pre-sale, announcing the public sale, and then putting that capital to work and making uh, direct investments on the companies that uh, are on the DealBox platform. Uh,
0: that's excellent. You know, That's something you don't see with a lot of platforms that are providing They're very strictly. Like, hey, look, we don't invest in things. We're just the marketplace. We're not telling you you should or shouldn't go after these. We're just putting them there. Uh, versus you've taken a more, much more active role, which has its benefits, but I could understand it also takes a significant degree of preparation and, uh, and diligence to do that right. That's
2: right. It's been a ton of work, but uh, it's looking real uh, promising.
0: That's good. That's good. And so one of my questions that I had prepared for you guys was pretty general. You know, what would you say are the greatest short-term obstacles, long-term benefits to regulation? Um, but since it does tie into that previous topic, we just talked about where you've taken a more active role and to go into promote something that you're plainly saying is a security and to have your, your own stake in it. As, as it does have benefits, but it also has its obvious um, challenges. How do you see that fitting into where everything's going on the macro scale now? And do you think that other people who are doing similar things to what you're doing are going to be able to keep up?
1: Yeah. Uh, so. Look, a lot of the ways that we're packaging up these offerings and providing them are through regulatory framework that's been in place for quite some time, right? As a result of the JOBS Act and things like exemptions through the SEC, Reg Ds, Regulation A, uh, S1 filings, things of that nature. They're not new, again, not reinventing the wheel, just using the existing tools and technology and framework that we have in place to kind of, you know, digitize and streamline a lot of those pain points for those processes, right? Um, and so coming back to that, like you mentioned, some of the obstacles around uh, regulation, we really think it's not so much about the offering as it is some of like the back end, right? So a lot of the you know, smart minds in the world, like the big five accounting firms and a, a lot of big people that uh, think critically about capital stack and capital formation, their biggest considerations from a regulatory, uh, regulatory standpoint are really uh, tax considerations jurisdictions, distribution issuance, uh, and creating liquidity debt, quite quite frankly. As far as the issuance goes of these offerings, that's all pretty well spoken for and documented and been going on for, for long enough to know that we're not really concerned about that framework. And especially with you know, Thomas's experience doing these things for the last 14, 15 years of, of doing private placements. Okay. Yeah, it, it just to, to a little bit more on what John
2: uh, said there, you know the the neat thing that's happening too is sort of this cross-market pollinization you're going to have you know um traditional capital guys starting to blend with crypto investors and, this, and, and 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 then your your crypto investors now looking at security tokens going wow there's actually some you know value to this token right so sure. i think it's, it's it's great to kind of see that that um, convergence of of those uh you know um investors and, and and sort of enthusiasts coming together whether, you, whether you're an equity investor or a, or a crypto investor so mm-hmm. I, I i think just having the market um you know that sort of um uh, you know you're, you're opening up these markets to both of those individuals right and uh i think that that cross-market pollinization is really going to help the, the the ecosystem and the industry as a whole
0: gotcha so coming from the background that you guys have um individually Something like a security token offering it, you're tokenizing it, you're already comfortable with the securities part. And so, if anything, it's actually kind of an easier step for you. And it makes things easier in the long run versus people who are maybe they came from the tech side, they understood the blockchain stuff, the cryptography, but now they're like, oh man, in order to invest in this, I got to wrap That's up. It about about securities, you know, a whole, whole well, yeah, new book.
1: So- yeah, yeah. And that comes back to what I mentioned, kind of my role here, right? It's like, is bridging that gap between what you just mentioned, right? Those technologists and the people that are actually creating these businesses and then the people that understand, you know, capital formation and, you know, investments, right? And, right. and quite frankly, those two types of people don't communicate as, as frequently nor as efficiently as they should be. And so that's what we're trying to solve.
0: Gotcha. That's definitely going to be interesting. You mentioned jurisdictions and how once you've gotten past, look, the issuance part, that's not a big deal for us. We already know how to do that. What's more interesting is that capital sack and the taxation and selecting jurisdictions. And I know you guys have, um, you know, you're pretty heavily oriented around let's be in the U S let's be open about being in the U S but how do you see the next years playing out in terms of capital flowing to regulated token token offerings in the U S versus people continuing to do ICOs or even doing STO type projects in jurisdictions that are more flexible, unregulated or actively courting that blockchain investment.
1: Sure. Uh, so when I think about this, I like to kind of come back to the United States capital markets, uh, because whether the global investor base really likes it or not. And this, this isn't really a philosophical debate. The fact of the matter is the U S dollar is a reserve currency for the world. Right. And the capital markets uh, formation and regulation in the U S is what is globally adopted. Right. So mm-hmm. at the end of the day, if you check the boxes in the United States, you'll check the boxes everywhere else. Okay. So we look at it from the construct of why not check the boxes up in, in the most difficult places first, and then you can make it easier to move into the Euro Asia pack and, and, you know uh, you know, Australia, New Zealand, Southern Hemisphere, South America—all of those type of, of economies, right? Rather mm-hmm. than trying to reverse engineer it and saying, "Okay, I did an ICO out of uh, Malta, and now we're going to come back into the U.S. capital markets and try and file something through, you know, a Delaware C Corp or something like that," and then you mm-hmm. realize, "Oh man, I should have done it the other way around, right?" So, as Thomas mentioned on your question to ICOs and utility use cases and things like that. You know, those are still, there There are places for those, but it's just best to be thinking about them from, okay, where's the most difficulty first, and let me make sure that I check those boxes before I move into places where it's easier instead of reverse engineering that.
2: Yeah, and, and to John's point on that, like, uh, the, let's just talk about where the money is. The money's here, right? So if you could access the money here, and that money's institutional, unfortunately, so we have to get the asset in a way that could be consumed from these institutions, and I think that's when you're going to see real progress and you know a lot more innovation and a lot more um, you know acceleration in this market is because it's going to take money in this industry, and you have to unlock that capital, and that's money under custody or management, or you know it's 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 money that's essentially you know everyone that has money has an advisor, and and you know those advisors uh, you have to bring. Uh, the asset to them in a way that they're used to looking at and, and, and a more regulated and more automated and more di- Digital experience for them to to view that information and buy it right from their desktop So it's about automating that transaction process and making it compliant and, and knowing that they could get through compliance You know as they pass it up to you know through their internal department for review. So you gotta, you know Do the work here. It's gonna make it a lot easier to kind of, you know, access uh, other markets
0: Sure. So, in in that case, to do it where it's more difficult uh, in terms of paperwork, time, just jumping through all the red tape and everything like that, it's a risk of time, it's a risk of money, but it's still fairly straightforward once you do follow that path. Versus, you know, what's what's been happening is sometimes uh, people they're trying to go and raise money and they say, look, I'll give money to this person here in Asia uh, where I am, and they go and they get sat down with fifteen of the person's closest relatives in suits and like, oh, well, thank you. your money and then they split all the cash that they got handed to set up that meeting. So it's a different kind of scam you know. <laughs> and that's you're right. going to take a risk either way. Obviously it does work out sometimes and there's a lot of potential for the capital moving between Asia and the U S um, and a lot of companies based out here are trying to invest in regulated STO type stuff back in the States. So yeah. I'm curious to see how that pans out. Um, that's yeah. a nice thing about being here is actually finding that as fast as some companies in the U.S. are trying to get out. There's a lot of Asian money trying to get in. So That's right. We'll see. Yeah, that that's right. Out. Uh, just a general question, you know, somebody's listening right now and they're hoping for one piece of advice they could walk away with if they're considering investing in a token offering, whether it's through Dealbox or a different way. What's that number one piece of advice, each one of you?
1: So uh, for me, it would really be uh, to do your homework on this, right? At the end of the day, you... Again, we're talking about security tokens, right? And with the security, the reason it's defined as a security is because you have some type of presumption of, you know, a gain in investment value, okay? And so if you're operating under that assumption, you have to understand, okay, what's driving that, uh, you know, um, appreciation and value. And in order to come up with the defensible and something you feel confident in saying, here's my hard-earned money, this is what I want to invest in, not speculate in, which, you know. That's the debate of you know systematic risk versus unsystematic and won't kind of go there. But the point is, for me, my advice would just be to do your homework, right? Research the fundamentals of what you're looking at. Utilize a marketplace like Dealbox or go out and speak to your issuers or the people that you're considering investing in. Don't just read some online article and think that you found the next billion dollar opportunity because quite frankly, the chances are you haven't. Um, you know, if you do, great for you, right? Congratulations. But at the end of the day, the odds are stacked against you. And when you're investing hard in capital, you want to make sure that you're doing your homework and placing it somewhere that you feel confident investing in. So that's that's my piece of advice.
2: Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think on uh, on the issuer side, um, you know, it's it's about planning and, and um, you know, having really good information and, and uh, getting your your. Entrepreneurs are really busy. Building their business, the last thing they want to do is try to navigate capital markets, and that's 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 our why at Dealbox is so that we could do what we do, issuers could do what they do best, and you know we become their capital partners. So I think if they're gonna, from an issuer side, you know, and you want to make a decision to go get capitalized, you know, do your research on on what uh, those um, companies are offering you, and try to find a solution that's all. In one that that could really help you as you know, so everyone could sort of stay in their lane and, and, and do what they do best. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, john nailed it with uh, on the investment side, you know, do your homework, you know, uh, Drill down and, and and try to get you know that that information that's going to give you that comfort to make that decision. Uh, you know, money doesn't come easy and it's uh uh, there's no easy button to go out and push to get fi- financed. So it's 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 really about just you know doing the doing the work and and the research and and, and really trying to get yourself informed well informed before you, you know, you're investing or you're going to go out and raise capital.
0: Sure. Yeah, that's that's good. And what you um, what you both mentioned about the making sure you you know what you're reading. Okay, uh, I want to add to that for anybody who's listening that. As far as just reading an article and thinking, oh, this is the next big thing. I mean, by the time you've read that article, first, you need to understand that most of that stuff is paid to be there. So if, you, if there's no indication, just because it doesn't indicate that it's sponsored, it's just a step above um, a press release, a little bit more creative writing involved. And this is a big part of the market. In fact, if you want to get something placed on those sites, contact me. <laughs> 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 Jokes aside, it's the thing where you have to disclose it. If you're going to follow the regulations in a place like the US, you have to disclose that if it is paid, if it is something, you, you know, there's a fine line between shilling and promoting your project. So pay attention to where you're getting your news from and go and click on their advertised link and their uh, submit a press release link and see are, are they charging? I mean, what are they charging? What are their standards? And you'll know very quickly what you can trust and what might just be nice ideas. So, you got it. Yep. Yeah um token iq so you guys know what i do is partnership development i'd love to talk about partnerships and anybody listening right now should be caring about that or they go find a different podcast and i want to talk to you <laughs> right? about i want to talk to you about token iq and how that partnership developed and how it's enabling from a technological perspective what you're able to do for your clients
2: yeah uh, well you know great uh, Question: uh, We're big on partnerships too, especially really good ones. So we're really excited about Token IQ. I met at the uh, privilege of uh, meeting Mark Vange, who's the chairman and uh, um, uh, founded the company a couple of years back. And uh, you know, they're solving a really big problem. You know, uh, AML, KYC, accreditation, verification, and another big uh, solution that they offer is token recovery. And um, they're building all this into the token, which really um, really line, streamlines the process and and um, really uh, eliminates a lot of, again, a lot more legacy systems and friction that's out there. Uh, and it just makes it uh, the token smarter and the process smarter, which is gonna reduce friction. And ultimately, uh, I think at the end of the day with having uh, that information and having all of that built into the token, I think in the future, you'll see more peer-to-peer um, uh, activities happening you know, so because, you know, you'll have that information and, and you know, it's, it's, it's the technology is there to be able to do that. And, um, you know, excited about the partnership. Uh, we're, re- we're recommending Token IQ for all of our clients. Um, it just is best practices and uh, they're a great team and they're doing some great things. And uh, we're really, um, really bullish about that partnership. It, well, we're also making it; they're a client, and we're, ma- you know, we've made a direct investment in them too. So, uh, <laughs> you know, that's that's part of what we're doing. Full disclosure, full, full disclosure you know, mm-hmm. but the, they they offer a, a great uh, service, and it's and it's needed.
0: Yeah, excellent. Um, you know, I find that their uh, approach to doing. The token recovery thing. So why don't you talk about token recovery and why that's important uh, for everybody listening. I mean, I, it, it's probably a little bit self-evident, but I want to get into the details. So yeah, tell us about token recovery.
1: Well, I'll just use like an example here, right? So like I mentioned, I've been investing in the space for, uh, you know, it's going on seven years now into 2019. But when I used to maintain, you know, my secret keys for wallets, I had them written on a piece of paper, right? And then right. I have files, right? Yeah. But at the end of the day, if something were to happen to me, someone would need to know exactly where to look in my file cabinets inside, you know, a pencil box from 1995. Okay. (laughs) that had a piece of paper with no indication except for this really long key. Right. And so if that were to happen, right. And something were to happen to me, um, my family members, anybody who I would want my assets to transition to and my estate or my will or something of that nature would not be able to access these things. So, uh, you know, and that's kind of an additional layer, right? Cause token IQ enables beneficiary attachments too, but for the token recovery systems, I mean, at the end of the day, this is in, again, investment money that you've put forward, that's hard earned in legitimate businesses. So it shouldn't be something that's, you know, while it's immutable, it shouldn't be something that can't be recovered, right? Mm. So that's at least from my personal standpoint, I mean, that's how I look at it. If something were to happen to me, or if I were to misplace that little piece of paper inside that pencil box, right? How do I go back and, and actually recoup my investment? And, you know, it, it might not be such a big deal if it's a couple hundred or maybe even like, you know, low thousands of dollars. But what if it's a hundred thousand or a million? Heaven forbid.
0: Right. Gotcha. And then I guess uh, if, if something did happen to you, God forbid, then whoever inherited that old file cabinet would probably be not entirely aware of, uh, of how lucky they were. That,
1: so, yeah, that, that's exactly right. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I wanted to uh to go further down that partnership path then. I mean, what kind of partnerships do you see being most valuable for DealBox and your clients? And and what would that ideal partnership model look like?
2: Uh, you know, so we're continuing to build these partnerships. Um, you know, uh we're looking at right now um some really good accounting firms that have, you know really good experience around digital assets that have some track record just so that we're able to provide that, you know, the best, um, information back, t- you know, to our clients, you know, there's a lot of, uh, just, you know, you gotta have that domain expertise. So, you know, we're, we're looking to strengthen that with some of, um, you know, a partnership on that side. We're, we're starting to have dis- uh, discussions there. Really a lot of the partnerships is, is, you know, we've been focused on building that look, what do all these companies need? They need money, right? So we're really about, you know, building partnerships with the family office and syndication partners that are going to be there as a resource on the distribution side. And quite frankly, that's where we spent most of our time because it's not just, yeah, we've got to get Dealbox funded to do seed investments and series A investments and lead the syndication. But when you're talking about funding, you know, upwards of a billion dollars, you got to have some, you know, some pretty big partnerships and relationships in place to be able to, to really help these entrepreneurs by, by you know, not only providing the service we have, but ultimately getting them financed. And, um, you know, so we've been spending a lot of time around, uh, looking, uh, with, uh, you know, just developing the right relationships and partners there. Um, we've, uh, we've made a, a great, uh, partnership and relationship with the, uh, the oracles, which has been helping tell the story with Dealbox and sort of my background. Yeah. Um, they've done, they've done a great job. Um, so we've, you know, looking to build the media partnership relationships, uh, you know, again, just building that bench of, of quality partners and resources, so that you know we can continue to just add as much value as we can to the you know for the issuers and for our, our ultimately for our stakeholders.
1: Yeah, to Thomas's point on media, right? Uh, certain podcasts, like uh, this one right here in Pendulum, <laughs> you know, we're happy to uh, to to be here with you and, and kind of you know again explaining uh, what we're doing here and what you're working on over at Pendulum to really you know help tell this story, not just uh, for the sake of you know, the companies you interview but really for the development of this entire new industry right that's the point here at the end of the day it's help us help you help everyone
0: yeah absolutely the um, you know it sounds like you've got a lot of the financial partnerships underway or already in place and that's excellent um, the service delivery partnerships it sounds like that's something you're trying to get more of um, particularly as you said you're looking at certain accounting firms there's going to be other sorts i'm in the same process you know finding people that everybody who's claiming to be an expert, um, that is suspect right away. Cause it hasn't been around that long, right. But it's at least people that are being honest and forthright about where they're at and that they're focusing on it. Um, yeah. and then getting some kind of direct referrals to these people is generally the best way. Like someone that's worked with them and yep. has found them to be of high integrity and willing to admit when they don't know and go find people who do. You know, that's, that's tough because it's a very, a lot of the people that are in this space, is very ego driven. You've got guys from finance, guys from tech backgrounds. I mean, where do you find bigger egos except maybe the art world? (laughs) So, you know, that's, that's definitely something good to hear that you guys are building that infrastructure for your clients and for yourselves. But what do you find most concerning or risky about strategic partnerships? Because obviously, you know, negative associations that you don't see coming can blow up. So what do you find risky about
1: So luckily for Dealbox, right, and I'll I'll let Thomas uh, answer this, but just kind of as a precursor, right, I mean, again, some of what we're so fortunate in here is Thomas's, you know, background is just being an issuer for so long, and then also working in this capital formation industry and dealing with private placements. He's taken so many arrows and, and you know, walked through so many minefields, right, that he's aware of all of these types of pitfalls and potential issues and is able to spot, you know, where those risks might be um, earlier than some other people, and that's allowed Dealbox to sidestep a lot of potential uh, noise, yeah, okay. noise and, and you know pitfalls again and, and things like that, right? So when I think about it, I think uh, you know when forming a partnership, it's really important to have our interests aligned, both on a cultural level, um, you know, a family level. Uh, what's your why for the business that you're operating? Um, how do you consider yourself as an individual? What do you value, right? Because at the end of the day we can't control another partner's actions or another business's actions. So what the last thing we want to have happen is some type of cross contamination of, you know, something that another partner of another firm that we might be associated with might have have gone through, right? And so Mm -hmm. we're very adamant about, you know, uh, the culture of the people that we align ourselves with the deal box. And that's, that's really, um, you know, another thing that we think we have that not a lot of businesses have. I mean, you bring up ego, I mean, that's, that's really just the surface beyond this, right? There's so much more that you don't see, um, just from initial discussions with people. And you really have to, you know, peel back all those layers and get to, like I said, who are you as a person? Who are you as a business? Why is it you're doing what you're doing? And how do you see this alignment? How do you think about the way you guys make money? And, you know, mm-hmm. what's the overall purpose here? Because if those things are not aligned, somewhere along the way, you're going to find uh, something that trips up, you know, both companies. Yeah. Yeah. Alignment is key. <laughs> well
2: said, John. Yeah. Just, you know, mm-hmm. being more purposeful, you know, and I think once you have those alignments, you're going to be able to tell right away again i've you know i've been doing this for a long time and you get a sense of where people are at fairly quickly and um you know if, if you're not aligning there uh, if there's that alignment's not there we're going to know really quick you know if, especially if there's big egos we're not big on egos here <laughs> you know we're <laughs> yeah. really about solving problems and helping people and i think if you have a heart to help people you get wisdom and um you know we rely on a lot of that and uh, it's worked out really well
0: that's good it's definitely a challenge sometimes uh, people talk about trust and particularly you're dealing with something where ideologically the background a lot of it was to have trustless systems where you didn't have to trust people, uh, which is good from a you know a Bitcoin perspective why that works it's pretty cool, but in doing a direct type of an investment or a business deal with somebody, you have to understand what their motivations are and what, what's their track record of decision-making. If, right. if they get stressed out or they feel like they're being threatened, do they tend to just blow everything up and, and burn all the bridges and go start in a new industry? That's you know, right. all kinds of crazy stuff, just looking a little bit. Um, and for the people that are listening, they, some of them might not be a private investigator. I still do some similar work to that and nobody's normal. Nobody's normal. Nobody's as cool as they seem. So the question is, is there a particular brand of weird, something that you can get along with? Are you the same kind of weird? (laughs) Is that okay? Right. Yeah. So we find it uh, important to do the research, do the diligence, but at the same time, let people explain if there is something kind of amiss, you know, there being a red flag is not necessarily a total deal killer for me. It's like, is the stuff that is kind of off. Cannot be explained. Do they have a good reason for it? And yeah, if they yeah. do, can we still work together? So yeah. you still you have to. Have on
1: really, yeah, and you touched on a really good point that I'd like to circle back on. Right, it's like is that stuff that is a little bit off? Like, what's the purpose behind it? Right, because there's always two sides to every story. There's always a background to something. And if you, you know, see something on the surface level, you know, it goes back to the age-old phrase of you can't judge a book by its cover. And I think. Right. I don't mean you know how somebody looks but maybe what you read in, in you know an article or something you've heard about somebody say about somebody how many times are there yelp reviews that aren't accurate okay numbers <laughs> billions all right
0: right vindictive um, vindictive right.
2: Yeah. I don't know have you heard of this thing called fake news you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah right? once or
0: twice I've heard it yeah <laughs> it's amazing though really um, the amount of disinformation so a lot of people right. are they misuse the terms or they do know, but there's a big difference between misinformation and disinformation. And there's a really big business in putting out um, truthful sounding BS. And you have to make it truthful enough that the BS slides through and it gets implanted in people's minds and that that part gets spread. I mean, it's a, a very, very interesting craft to study. But if you don't know how it works and you're reading an article and it's from a reputable source and it has all these facts that are verifiably true, and then you say, well, this is a true article. And the spin on it and the little piece they planted in there that somebody got paid, you know, a couple, a couple thousand dollars to put it together or a couple hundred grand over the course of a year to put it in all these different publications, then it becomes true. And the same thing happens with different kinds of projects or companies that you might want to invest in if they don't have your best interests at heart. That's why you've seen so many scams and they're doing it on a baby level. You know, this is like low level kind of negative PR type stuff. But anyway, be careful with the message yeah
2: yeah, and, and just want <laughs> to touch on the point there. I know I said it earlier and, and uh, what's what's really sort of helpful with our process is you know we're working with those issuers you know pretty a really deep dive for a six to eight week process, and you know before you know we even you know start to would even think about presenting any of the information up, so you know during that time you you really get to uh, Get to know people a little bit more and especially as you're going through the the process so that that's helpful you know because yeah. you're you're seeing um you know you're able to just get that garner that experience you know in in spending that time with these people to to understand their logic and who they are and you know what got them there why they're doing this and that's that's that that extra time i think is is, is helpful to help mitigate a lot of that uh those risks and um and uh it's working out it's working out well
0: That's good. And to the point of knowing that there are going to be things sometimes, particularly in certain industries where the person's not necessarily a boy scout or they've had businesses that didn't work out in the past um, or the regulations were so unclear that what they did may may not have been kosher. And perfect example is you guys were involved in the cannabis space. Pretty much anybody who's really, really good at growing weed, um, they didn't just learn right when it got legalized. Right. Right. So a lot of it was, were, were they essentially just um, unconvicted felons for a long time, especially when the regulations like, you can't have had any sort of felonies. So it. it's like, you just didn't get caught. So there's this question of morals versus ethics versus, are they going to play by the rules now that everything's been outlined? Same thing in the cybersecurity industry. A lot of the best people did not come out of the <laughs> background right. and they're making you know, a quarter million dollars a year. And a lot of it's because they didn't get caught or they did get caught and they wrote a book and did some interviews. So it's, it's another one of those things. Blockchain, you get a lot of mix of those kinds of people. And, um, it's just a question of, are they going to be nice with people's money and and play by the rules now a lot of the time. Sure. So as far as the, the risks there that we've talked about, um, I want to cover two things now. And the first one is, for the listeners who are looking for voices and insight they can trust, is there anyone in the blockchain space that you hold in such a high regard that you would recommend them without hesitation?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, just some people that I know, Thomas and I are like telepathically communicating. <laughs> yes. we, you know, we brought up the team, it's okay to you, so, you know... Uh, Mark Vange over there and, and his team are incredible people. Uh, we think about some people like uh, Michael Taggart, who's operator of Cryptonomics and working on a number of cool projects. You know, he's involved with uh, Dan Larimer and some of the people that uh, kind of formed the EOS blockchain, right? Mm. And as a- side shoot of that, I I think about some people that are doing more impact driven uh, projects like uh, Tim Burke, who's the uh, founder of a project called Sovereign Sky, right? And they just had a number of satellites that were launched up just yesterday as part of, uh, you know, the payload that went out of uh, of Los Angeles. Yeah. So people in that space. um, I also think about some of the people that are solving um, a lot of the uh, over-the-counter uh, OTC-type transactions in blockchain, so providing institutional liquidity, right? So uh, the team over at a company by the name of Blockfills is is pretty impressive. Those people have done an incredible job about actually providing liquidity in, in the large-scale operations. Um, some other people, I, I think about, like BitGo custodial services that are really working to actually custody, um, you know, digital securities and the future of those. Um, and I'll, Thomas, any, anybody else? Yeah, and then
2: there's, like, uh, you know, there's banking guys out there like Signature Bank. You know, they're, uh, they're taking a pretty uh, good stance at helping out, uh, you know, cryptocurrency-based companies. So it's really just, uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, good, you know, sources of information and people out there. And, and um, you know, again, just doing the research and, and, and looking to see what the logic is. And, and uh, you know, uh, we, we've been fortunate to run into some quality people and uh, just continue to build on those relationships.
0: Absolutely. Uh, I appreciate you guys uh, naming those people that others should take a look into and, and be able to trust because there is so much noise, as you mentioned earlier, the noise and getting through that and finding the strong signal and those people that can provide good information coming from a good place, genuinely trying to help other people and advance what we're all working on. It's, it's good right. to know. Names. So, if we could return the favor, is there anybody in the um, in the space or anybody that you'd like to connect with either specifically a company or an individual you'd like an introduction to, if someone could set that up or just a a kind of a general idea of a type of person that you need to meet to, um, to do what you're trying to achieve.
2: You know, we're really about like, you know, serving issuers and investors. So like if there's, you know, companies out there that really uh, have a great product and, are really looking to solve, you know, a problem. And, you know, we'd like to just be a resource and be helpful for them. And, uh, you know, there's people that have access to deal flow that they know that they're, uh, you know, everybody has sort of deals that they're wanting to get done, right? And so we're just looking for those high quality deals. So that, and you know, that we could be, you know, there as a service provider for, and, uh, you know, investors wanting to, um, you know, ultimately uh, have a place that they could uh, make the most informed investment decisions and and and, you know, everything we really do is about value. You know, we just want to bring value to the, the issuers and bring value to the investors and, and and really good data helps drive that process. And, and um, you know, is there any one person, uh, well, besides you, we already did it. We got, we're speaking to you. So, I mean, we're already <laughs> on our way there.
0: All right. Uh, how about you, John? Any, anybody in particular that you'd like to, to work with or or any kind of um avatar that you can outline beyond what what thomas has already provided
1: yeah i mean naming personal names is kind of tough for me just because you know i don't have pre-existing relationships with some people that do media right and i come back to okay well what's the culture what's the value what's the risk of that partnership so Mm -hmm. i guess i'd rather answer that question conceptually right and uh, from a framework as opposed to you know naming somebody um but Mm -hmm. for me it's it's really along the lines of uh You know, institutional adoption here. Okay, so for us, it's, it's, you know, traditional wealth management, it's family offices, it's asset allocators and fund managers who are either a currently investing in the blockchain economy, and, you know, interested in digital securities tokenization of assets, but it's also b. Um, those same types of people who have thought about it before, but don't really have any, um, you know, education on the space and don't really know where to go. Right? They're they're kind of they know that they want to invest in blockchain. They know that they have a demand for it from their investor base, and they just don't really know where to go for that. So we just really like to be the resource for those kinds of people, and, and that's where that's where my, um, you know, kind of request for introductions will be.
0: Excellent. All right. Thank you. We'll we'll all have to take a look at that and think about it and see if we can help out. Yeah,
1: We appreciate you asking that question too. So uh, it's two way street on that.
0: Perfect. So now guys, this is my favorite part of every episode and I'm hoping that you've got some good ones for me. I want to hear your favorite deal stories. So an interesting negotiation, clever application of leverage, something that maybe almost blew up and you just pulled it through at the end, best outcome, whatever stands out in your mind. And we'll teach (laughs) you to to the listener.
2: That uh, that was Dealbox, you know, transitioning from utility platform to security token platform It was a lot of work, mm. uh, you know, just to, to do that pivot because we weren't um, fully capitalized, and you know I'm self funding all of this, so that was a uh, you know a great experience to kind of because we you're learning at the same time about you know utility use case, and then as soon as I went security token, I just went ah. Okay, this is you know security, It's a reg D. We've been doing this for a long time, so uh, it really it worked out. You know, uh, really in a, in a in a wonderful way for us. Uh, with that respect, but uh that regard, and um, yeah. So that's uh,
0: that's yours. All right.
2: That's, that's, that's
0: pretty good. much it. Okay, and um, how about you, John?
1: Yeah. Well, Thomas has a whole bunch more that you know I, I, could be an entire podcast <laughs> episode about. Okay, let's talk about all of the. You know intricacies of raising capital and, you know, being an issuer. Um, for me, you know, I think uh, I, I'm, I'm seeing your comments here on like a serendipitous opportunity or, you know, you know, a clever application of leverage or, you know, something that stands out in my mind is, you know, Thomas and I, um, almost serendipitously with one of our other, uh, partners who's basically head of business development at Dealbox And I think, you know, you've spoken to him before us, Bradford BOTUS and Bradford yeah. introduced us, uh, to uh, strategic mining uh, operation yeah. partners, of partner of ours, and uh, you know, uh, we come back to you know some of the respected people in the blockchain space. I'd also like to bring up uh, Dan Strivers and uh, Scott Norris, right, who are our partners under um, you know an initiative at Dealbox that we're working on called Mindset, which is basically a diversified mining strategy that mm-hmm. uh, has the underlying purpose of kind of delivering a little bit more uh, hash power back into the United States and diverting it away from like the Asia Pac countries. Um, you know, on, the, on the order of both national security as well as you know, a number of other you know, entrepreneurial factors as well as efficiency. So for me, when I think about a serendipitous opportunity, you know, being introduced to Scott and, and his team and the people he's worked with has been uh, very interesting because of the consulting business he runs and where he um, you know, operates his business in you know, um, software and hardware consulting uh, optimization services for uh, mining facilities. For cryptocurrencies, and um, I find it's it's, and I thought about it because of the serendipitous part, right? Is a lot of people that we talk to in this blockchain space sometimes will bring up, you know, the mindset initiative and our relationship with these people, and I won't mention them by name because I I try and keep it a little bit under wraps. But you know, it's funny because people go, "Oh, you mean you mean Scott? They were just at our facility." right and so it's just interesting to see you know how how small uh the world really is um especially in emerging uh, you know industries like this and so we're really grateful for our partnership with those guys uh, myself especially
2: and, and to john's point on that i mean these are great uh partners and um they're th- there's a the real issue uh with uh you know hash power in the u.s and and and, and mining it's like you know it's, it's right now you're talking about Russia and China, you know, having majority of that, uh, those capabilities. And I think, you know, that's a big concern if we're going to be, if we want sustainability in the U.S. and uh, in, in the industry as a whole. I think it's, it's healthy to, 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 to make that movement happen here uh, mm-hmm. as, this, as, this indi- as this
0: industry continues to grow.
1: Yeah, so stay tuned on that uh, <laughs> mindset and hopefully we can talk about that in uh, a couple months from now.
0: Yeah, that that's definitely sounds like a whole episode unto itself. Um, you know, it, it it's a fascinating concept. You bring up the sustainability of it, um, economically speaking, but also you know the national security perspective. You mm-hmm. brought that in. Now you got my geopolitical
1: wheels yeah. turning.
0: So that's, that's right. going to be. I'm gonna be nagging you for that one. <laughs> we'll it'll be, good. It'll uh, be good.
1: We'll bring in the mining partners for that, and we'll have a philosophical discussion about uh, you know geopolitical uh, you know implications of global hash rate in the mining industry. It should be
2: good. Yeah. And and
0: That's these
2: guys cool. are probably the you know, best guys on the planet to be having that conversation. With. Absolutely.
0: So. Yeah. So then we're gonna to have to do that one, and then I'm gonna to have to set up a panel discussion with some guys out of China too. So it's gonna be great.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Right. We'd love to make it really interesting.
0: Yeah, there we go. Something good. Um, all right. So we're going to kind of move into the tail end of it here. I want to give you guys an opportunity to share any final words of wisdom on this topic, anything we've talked about today. And, uh, why don't, why don't you go ahead and start with that one, Thomas?
2: Yeah. Um, well, I, I did want to, uh, you know, I'd like to talk about one deal if I could. um, Absolutely. That we're pretty excited about, which is, um, a token name service because you know the process of purchasing cryptos difficult. You know your public key is twenty six characters at minimum, mm. and uh, you know in order to have mass adoption, if you look at what happened with the internet with uh, ICANN and DNS domain name service, really became the naming uh, functionality over IP addresses, which you know today has has really helped you know the internet grow to where it is, and and I think um, you know dealing with companies that have uh, really looked at solving some pretty big problems. And, and uh, this is one of them. Token Name Service is really like what DNS is to uh, the internet. TNS is going to be to crypto. And uh, we're excited about that because it could just be, you know, dollar sign Colton, you know, and then there you have your wallet address. It could be a lot easier to, to send uh, money to that address as opposed to your key. And it just maps on top of your key. So it's not like it's going to be you know easier to hack or you know all the the security constraints are there so everything is good it's just a simpler way of um you know sending and and, and um participating and, and getting people to adopt into the industry and so i'm pretty excited about that opportunity uh and um and you know in, in terms of just uh you know recapping everything it, it's it you know again, we're all busy and last thing entrepreneurs need to be doing is trying to figure out how to navigate capital markets. I mean, it's taken me 30 years, you know, we, <laughs> you know, to figure out some stuff and crack the code. It's like anything, you got to put the time and do the work in, you know, put the work in, uh, there's no way around it. But if, if entrepreneurs could align themselves with resources that allow them to do what they do, we do what we do, everybody stays in the lane, you're going to have, you know, uh, hopefully much better outcomes with that. And, um, you know, and then, and then, and then the, the other sort of beauty to that is they're they're learning sort of a, a good practice you know so that not only uh, this could help the this venture that they're currently working on but they have a, a, a resource and a, and a roadmap and, and, and education that they've been able to glean from our process and I think if you find that you know you ever talk to any of the clients that have come through the process they, they feel better about their company than they ever have because they they've been able to appreciate it from a more fundamental stance they just have to take and be disciplined and go through the process and and I think that's just really helpful for entrepreneurs.
0: Yeah, that's good. Like a kind of a much, much more developed feeling somewhat like when you clean your house really thoroughly before company comes over. It's like, I, I like this house after all. <laughs> uh, okay. good. That's great. And, and what about you, John, any final words of wisdom or anything you'd like everybody to check out?
1: yeah definitely and i I appreciate you asking that question because conceptually here um the, the bigger picture for me is to really challenge you know investors of all types to consider um you know what the future of the investment landscape really looks like what are forward return expectations shaping up to be in the next 10 20 years and what industries through what mechanisms through what types of securities right how are you really allocated what are you investing for is your financial planner or your financial advisor actually setting up the right things for you? Um, You know, so when I think about this, you know, there's a lot of uh, on the capital market side of things, what discouraged me about the industry and still does is quite frankly, the amount of group think that goes on where basically everybody says, we know exactly what we're talking about and we're all doing this together. So everybody tends to like herd mentality invest in the same way, allocate the same way. People, you know, preach diversification and act like here's your, you know, compounded annual growth rate based on this allocation. But by the way, here's this disclaimer that says past performance is not indicative of future results, but we've just planned your entire financial future off on this assumption. Right. So I really want to challenge people to consider the ways that they are invested and allocated today and think about what the future of investing looks like and really pay attention to both, you know, Creating wealth and having a specific percentage sleeve of your asset allocation that's actually based on more binary outcomes and things that might have higher potential for growth, but then also focusing on you know the uh, capital preservation side of things because you know there's just a lot of really major challenges that are going to be facing you know global financial markets in the next you know five, 10, 15 years, and so you know I, I just from from a heart to help standpoint, I really want people to you know walk away saying okay, let me go back and actually think about how I'm investing for the future.
0: Sure. So uh, to to summarize, if I got that all, then basically don't lose all your money trying to make a little bit.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And make sure sure that what you're investing in today is actually going to produce financial results in the future, right? Because not necessarily what, what has performed today will be performing tomorrow.
0: That makes a lot of sense. And I appreciate you both taking the time to share all this information. Um, I know that the questions sometimes might be a little out of left field, but it was very good to have your information there and your thoughts on those issues and kind of where the regulation is going. Um, now you've got my mind thinking about all this uh, geopolitical stuff, so we're gonna have to have that one <laughs> soon. Um, yeah. Yeah. Any, anything that you want, want to direct people to specifically, I know they can go to is DLBX.io, um, and they can check out your uh, upcoming sale there. Why don't you tell them what they should go do? You know, the standard end of podcast call to actions. If you guys sat through the whole thing. What should they do?
2: Yeah. So uh, um, if you go to uh, DLBX.io uh, forward slash uh, presale, that is going to give you the current um, sort of presentation on Dealbox and the current opportunity. Again, ninety percent of those, uh, the revenues that are were that were well, ninety percent of the capital that we're raising is going to make direct investments, seed investments, and and Series A investments into the into the companies on our marketplace, which will really help build the uh, and accelerate the uh, syndication, and ultimately the, the the best outcome to get those companies capitalized. Um, I have a, a, a media page that, uh, you know, I think has a lot of additional information and resources are on my personal website, thomascarter.io. So that's just T-H-O-M-A-S carter.io, you know, both dlbx.io forward slash presale and then thomascarter.io are, are real helpful uh, sort of um, to kind of get that that information and, and drill, go, go deep as you, you know, go as deep as you'd like. Great.
1: John, yeah, and then the last thing, yeah, I would like to just bring up like uh, how we consider ourselves like as a resource, right? So people uh, tend to tell me when, when I ask them, especially when I first started working with Thomas and Dealbox, is what do you what do you like most about Thomas? And often it's it's people come back to me and they say, well, we feel like we can trust him and. He picks up the phone and gets things done. So to that point, you know, um, as far as resources go, we want to encourage anybody that you know heard something you know this evening or on this podcast that maybe that they liked or wanted to learn more about, you know, reach out to us. We're open people. We communicate with our community very, very frequently, and we're available to reach. We're not those guys up in Silicon Valley that run a crypto hedge fund that you know when you email them you get an automatic response that says, "Sorry, I'm inundated. Get back to you in three months," right? And then they never get back to you. <laughs> <laughs> so so you know, we just encourage people to use this as a
2: resource, and and that's been it's been great having John because he's uh, he's just been a, a huge resource for me in the expansion of Dealbox, and we're grateful to have him on board, you know, part of the team and, and heading up the capital market side. It's uh, it's 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 been a you know, it's been great having him on board, and we're we're really looking forward to building this up and helping a lot more issuers and, and helping a lot of people, you know, both issuers and investors.
0: Excellent. Well, thanks again for your time, everybody. This was John Nance and Thomas Carter of Dealbox. That's DLBX.IO/Presale if you want to work with them, and uh, we'll we'll check in with you next time. All
2: right. Thank All right. you. Thanks, Colton. All right. Take care. Thanks, everybody.
0: Thank you for listening to the Pendulum Insight Podcast. If you learned something today and you want to know more, go check out PendulumInsight.com.